Today's verse comes from Mark chapter 1, 29 through 39. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever had left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Thank you, Thomas, for reading God's Word to us, and welcome once again to all of you. Um, yeah, it really is great to see you all and to study God's Word together. Let's, uh, let's do that now, and let's ask Him for help as we look into His Word. Father, we trust that your word is wise, that it is true, that it is good, but we often don't have eyes to see the wisdom and the truth and the goodness of it, and so we ask that you would give us eyes to see. We ask that you would teach us what we don't already know, Lord, that you would give us what we don't have. Father, we pray that you'd reveal to us what we have not yet seen, and we ask that you would transform us in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. And have you ever met someone who you trusted? Have you ever looked up to someone, perhaps, at first? But then the more you got to know them, the less impressed you were by them. Perhaps your trust in them started to diminish. It's a normal experience for many of us. But as we read through the Gospel according to Mark, I think you'll find that the closer you look, at Jesus, the closer you draw in to observe his life, his character, the more impressive he is. In fact, today we're going to see Jesus busy and tired and under pressure, stretched. These are the the kinds of times when when you and I might be at our worst, (laughs) when we're busy and we're exhausted. It's the times when our more selfish tendencies start to emerge, where we lose self-control, where our anxious selves or our angry selves start to emerge, whatever it might be, you know, and for some of us it might look different, but the fact is this, and I think this is consistent for all of us, whatever is deep inside of you tends to come out when you are exhausted and under pressure. It's hard to keep those tendencies controlled and hidden when you're stressed or when you're fatigued they just seem to come out in one sense we are all 
kind of like this, this plastic bottle of Goulden's spicy brown mustard. It's the best mustard in the world, if you, if you don't know, but it's, we're all kind of like it. In this, in this sense, what, what happens when you apply pressure to that bottle of Goulden's mustard? Well, the mustard squirts out, doesn't it? And if you apply a lot of pressure to it, then a lot of mustard comes out, and, and you've got a mess. <laughs> and so it is with us. What's inside us spills out when you apply pressure. And when we're tired, it just comes out more easily. It comes out more quickly. It's as if, it's as if the cap were left open, <laughs> allowing whatever inside to come out and create a mess all the more easily. So that means that when you and I respond to circumstances with anger, when we respond with panic, when we res respond with lies and self-justification, what does that say about what's inside of us? The pressure's being applied on what's coming out. On many occasions, I've had to tell people, I've had to tell my children and many others, more than once, I'm, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. It's, it's just that I'm under a lot of stress. Have you ever said something like that to people you love? It's true. In my case, it was true. But it begs the question of why I responded in that particular way and why I didn't respond in some other way. A better way. The important detail that I often overlook is that when agitated or stressed and I regret what comes out, well, what spilled out was just what filled me to begin with. It's what was there, inside, consuming me. And here it is, spilling out onto others. And, and in my case, in those instances where I have to apologize to my family or to maybe some of you, it's not patience that came out. It's not love or gentleness. It's something else. It's whatever was in me. And I wonder if you can relate to that. As we look at Jesus in this section of Mark's narrative, uh, I want us to notice how he maintains integrity under pressure. That's the title of our message today, integrity under pressure. It's, it's what Jesus displayed. I, I want you to notice what comes out when Jesus is pressed. And we're going to see how he responds. And then, and then at the end, we're going to see why that is great news for us. That his response... When under pressure is great news for us. This section of, of Mark is a, a day in the life of Jesus. And we've got three acts in here. And each act or each movement, it highlights a different aspect of what filled Jesus. So first we're going to see that compassion for his people filled him. And then the second act, we'll see that closeness to his father filled him. And lastly, we'll see that commitment to his mission fills him. These are the three things that occupy Jesus' heart. Compassion, and closeness, and commitment. So let's look at the first one. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. I've been there. I mean... 
We've been there. He shows compassion. Compassion for his people. Um, we're looking at verses 29 down to 39. Earlier in this same day, Jesus was in a synagogue. He was in a town called Capernaum. If you remember from last week, it was a Sabbath day. He had taught in the synagogue. He had cast out a demon in that synagogue. It was, it was and you could read that, that scene and think it was no big deal. But this is a dramatic scene of spiritual warfare that Jesus is engaged in. Jesus was coming up against the powers of Satan, the powers of hell, and prevailing. This is hard work. In verse 28 of Mark 1, it says that at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So in our passage today, it's later on in that same day, that afternoon. All right? Mark says that immediately uh, Jesus left that synagogue and went home to the home of, of two of his disciples, Simon and Andrew. And I, I think that he was most likely looking forward to just resting. He was looking forward to going to his friend's house. It seems he didn't have a home of his own. And just kicking back. But Simon, his disciple's mother-in-law, was ill. And when Jesus heard about her illness, he moved towards her in compassion. And without a word, what Jesus did was he, he lifted her by the hand and healed her. And the fever disappeared and she was well. She was well enough to serve food to him and the other disciples. And, and what we see in that brief moment is that Jesus was no different in public than he was behind closed doors. In public, in the synagogue, he was displaying mercy and power and compassion. But here he is behind closed doors, tired, perhaps looking forward to some downtime. But we see the same Jesus. It's integrity under pressure. In private, he was just as thoughtful and as giving as he was in the synagogue. For us, perhaps there's a temptation to be different in the gathering of God's people than we are at home. Perhaps there's a temptation to show our families a different face than what we show the people when we get together to worship. Maybe a kind of dissonance. Not for him. Not for him. What we see in every instance is the true Jesus. He healed her. And now he could finally rest. But he couldn't rest for long. It was the Sabbath day still. The Sabbath was a day of rest. But for him, it was anything but that. And now, as, as the Sabbath day was ending and the sun was going down, look at what happens. Verse 32. It says, That evening, as the, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick. All who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city, and this was not a small village, but an actual city, the whole city was gathered together at the door Think hundreds, think thousands, gathered at the door of this tired man who had been pouring out compassion all day. Imagine the, the crowds gathering. It was like a mob of people, and they're coming towards this house, and, and many of them are limping. Many of them were perhaps out of their minds, dangers to themselves and to others. 
Some of them were possessed by evil spirits, and that's why I say they were a danger to themselves and to others. Every horrible disease, some of them were being carried because they could not walk on their own. I know this is not, this is not a generous image in my head, but it, it, it just naturally comes to mind. When I read this passage, I think of the walking dead for some reason. I think of, I think of the walkers coming and you're surrounded and they're just getting closer and closer and closer and you can try to close the doors and hold them shut but they're coming in through the windows and they're everywhere but unlike me Jesus didn't look at the crowd as a threat or as an inconvenience no it says verse 34 he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him see the him again this was not a hassle at least he doesn't respond that way his response isn't look I, I need some alone time I, I need some this, this is my Netflix time he sees need and what pours out of him is a desire to help. Isn't that incredible? And other parts of the Gospels, like in Luke 6, for instance, it tells us that when the crowds of hurting people came towards him, it says, quote, he healed them all. Wow. This is the compassion of Jesus. Under extreme pressure, exhaustion, what emitted from the Lord was this kind of compassion. And the reason it came out was because it was, it's what filled him. It's what filled him abundantly. Uh, now, 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 some of us, I, I think all of us have some compassion, but we have limits, don't we? We reach a limit. We say, I've given enough. Now it's my time. Jesus displays this unstopping, bottomless reservoir of compassion towards the people that comes towards him. We'll, we'll see that that's good news for us a little and, and soon. We're going to look at that, why that is good news for us. But for now, I want you to consider, just for a moment, how does this compare to the ways that you respond to hurts and needs in your home, in your workplace, when you are tired and you've given and given already? How does Jesus' behavior compare to yours? And my goal in asking that question is not to shame you or to make you feel terrible, but it's just to, to encourage us to just be honest about ourselves as we compare ourselves to Jesus. Let's be honest. Because the fact is, I trust that for many of you, the people in your lives look at you and they see some of Jesus in you. They see your generosity. They see your compassion. Praise God for that. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, don't, don't we have to admit don't we have to admit the ways that we are unlike him? Don't we have to admit the ways that we have fallen short of what we see here? How our compassion sometimes runs dry? How sometimes, just depending on the mood we were in or the day that we had, it's almost like there's no compassion at all. Maybe it was there yesterday, but today I'm not feeling it. I don't care about you today. We have to admit how protective we can be about our own comforts, our own time, our own desires. And, and we have to admit that under pressure especially, sometimes what comes out is the opposite of compassion. 
we're going to see why his compassion is good news for us. But next, let's just look at the, the, the next thing that fills Jesus. It's his closeness with the Father. His closeness with the Father. It's there in verse 35. You would think that after a night like this, Jesus would have slept in the next day. Wouldn't you? But he's up early. Early, early. Not like early, like, you know, i got to catch an early train early. Verse 35 says that it was very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So after all the pressure, after all the exhaustion, he rests, he sleeps, and then he rises to pray. He gets up to draw close to his father, to connect with his father. And this isn't just like, you know, morning coffee on the patio with his favorite devotional as the birds are tweeting. Not that that's bad at all. That's wonderful. Praise God for those moments. As the spring begins, I look forward to those moments. But what he does is, it says he, he got up early when it was still dark and he went to, quote, a desolate place. That word for desolate place is the same word that was used back in verse 12 and it was translated wilderness. He went to a faraway wilderness. He wanted silence. He wanted solitude. And in fact, you might say he needed silence and solitude. Think about it. If it's hard for you to find silence and solitude in your home, as it is for many of us, imagine this man. He's not even in his own home. He's in someone else's home. And his home is being crowded by hurting, suffering people. So he had to go as far as that, into the wilderness, so far that his friends had to go search for him. And it seemed like it took a long time for them to finally find him. And he did this to pray. To pray. Jesus, um, the Gospel of Mark mentions Jesus praying just three times. That doesn't mean he only prayed three times. He prayed, he, Mark just mentions three. This is one of them. The other two times, uh, one is, is after he feeds the 5,000, or, or I think, yeah, after he feeds the 5,000, after a long, strenuous day of teaching and serving. And then the other time that Mark mentions him praying is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. And so in all three of these instances, it seems that Mark is showing us that when Jesus was under the most pressure when he was stretched as thin as possible, when he was exhausted, he knew he needed his father. And so he went to his father. Alone. We don't know what he prayed, but we know that he depended on his father God. It's as if his ability to serve others, his ability to persevere through another day with compassion depended on this steady connection to God his Father. In order for Jesus to persevere in compassion for even just one more day, he needed this connection with his Father. Again, we're going to see why that's good news for us. But for, for just a moment now, I want, I want us to ask ourselves, what do you turn to when you are depleted and pressed. What do you turn to? What do you look to lean on when you feel overwhelmed? 
I have over the course of my life turned to many, many things. Some more destructive than others. I wonder if some of you might relate to that. But how about you now? In those moments of high pressure, those moments of exhaustion, when you're led to think, what I really need right now is blank. What I need right now is blank. What is the blank for you? What's in that blank for you? The way that Jesus, in this moment, leans into communion, fellowship with his Father, it shows us something about how we must live and how, and the only way that we can persevere. It's by leaning where he leaned. Pushing into closeness with God, just as our Savior did. And thirdly, thirdly, the last thing we see about what fills Jesus here, he was filled with a commitment to his mission. Jesus' friends eventually did find him. Look at verse 36. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And, and this is interesting. All the scholars that I read, they said that there's a, if, if you could read this in Greek, you would notice that there is a, a note of frustration in their words. This isn't like, Hey, everyone's looking for you. No, there was rebuke. They were mad. They'd been looking all over the place. <laughs> they had to head out into the wilderness. It's probably the place where they were like, should we look out there? No, he's not going to be out there. Should we look? Right, I guess we have to. We've looked everywhere else. Let's go out into the desert and see if we can find him. Sure enough, there he is. And it's not just them that were looking for him. It's just everyone was. It's like there was an uproar in the city. Where is Jesus? And they're all angry. And they're confused because they're wondering, he was, why, why, why is he gone? Remember, verse 28, his fame had spread everywhere through the whole region. This, this indicated, this marked the, the beginning of something huge, a movement. Why disappear now? There's so much work to do. So many other suffering people to care for. And plus, if you're trying to build a movement, you've got to ride this wave. This is not the time to take off on your own. But it may not surprise you to know that Jesus was not looking to create a buzz or he wasn't looking to exploit his 15 minutes of fame. He couldn't be clearer about that. Because even when, notice, we read this, even when the demons identified him, he said, shut up. He stopped them from, from speaking his name. Because he knew that it was not yet time for everyone to know who he was. So he says, no, 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 stop that. The time will come when I will reveal my true identity. But for now, let's keep it on the low. So rather than go back to Capernaum to heal more, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 38. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. Preach, he says, for that is why I came out. And we don't know what he means exactly there. If he says, that's why I came out of Capernaum into the wilderness, or that's why I came out of heaven to earth, we don't know. But he came out, he's here, to do this, 
to preach. To preach. And what he's saying in, in essence is, I am committed to this mission. He's saying, I have an agenda and I will not allow the agenda of others to overtake that. His unwillingness to go back to Capernaum and heal was not because he was tapped out of compassion. He's got lots more compassion. He did not go back because he knew that that was not the plan. The mission required him to go out into other new places. And so that's what he did. To preach. To preach what? You might ask. Well, let's look. Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. We saw this a few weeks ago. It tells us what Jesus was preaching. It says there that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We saw it a few weeks ago that Jesus' arrival on earth meant that God's kingdom was invading. God's kingdom was penetrating this fallen, broken world. And so Jesus is proclaiming that. That's what he's preaching. The kingdom is here. It's, com- it's here, and it's only, only more of it is coming. And so it's time to turn away from whatever you've been setting your life up on, whatever you've been pursuing, whatever you've been leaning on, to turn away from all that and believe in this gospel. Believe in this good news that Jesus is king and he's here to continue building his kingdom. A kingdom that is better than anything any of us has ever experienced here. A kingdom that is the world as it ought to be under his rule under his compassionate rule. Notice, Mark says that not only did Jesus say, I have to leave here to go preach, but then he says in verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching, just as he said he would, in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus says, I have to leave here to go preach, but along with that preaching, along with the declaring, the verbal announcement that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is here and it's coming, he continued to cast out demons. And he continued to heal, we find out as we read the rest of Mark. We'll find out, we'll just see it next week. He kept healing. So it's not Jesus is saying, I'm not about healing or, or, or casting out demons anymore, I'm just going to preach. No, he's saying, I'm going to preach, and the way I'm going to do it is verbally through the announcement that God's kingdom is here. It's time to repent and to believe in the king. But he also would announce that coming kingdom through these acts of liberating and healing people. And with each demon he cast out, and with each malady or or, or disease he healed, Jesus was saying, this is what my kingdom will look like. No more demons. No more oppression. No more power for Satan. No more opportunities for him. And no more illness. No more disease. No more suffering. This is the kingdom that I'm bringing in. Jesus left Capernaum because his plan was not just to restore a few people in that town. But his plan was to restore a multitude that no one can number. He's on a mission to restore all of creation. It was bigger than that little town, and so he had to move on. 
And so his mission at this stage, it, it, it meant declaring the good news of the kingdom throughout the region. It, it meant uh, performing the signs of the kingdom, giving people a preview of what the kingdom looks like through all these healings and, 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 and casting out of demons. And eventually, eventually his mission would look like this. It would look like him dying on a cross and rising from the grave and one day returning. And Jesus in this moment decisively declares, I will not be distracted from my mission. My trajectory has been set. I've got a vision and I'm not drifting from that vision, from that plan. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's healthy, I think, sometimes to compare ourselves to Jesus a little bit and, and ask, have you ever experienced uh, what some call vision drift? Like you had a plan, you had a vision for what your life should be like, and then you start to drift from it. Maybe when you first came to believe the gospel, if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you decided, I want to live for him, I want to pursue him above all else, I want my life to be about serving him and his kingdom and then as life unfolded maybe it was what came was university came or maybe it was a career or maybe it was family or maybe it was your, 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 your first job whatever it was the accumulation of assets and property real estate whatever it is all these things start to happen and soon did you ever, did you ever realize you, you might have started to lose lose a sense of what you were really focused on your life to an outside observer might no longer look like it's about serving Jesus and his kingdom. And it happens gradually. And sometimes it happens for what seem to be good reasons. No one would have faulted Jesus for going back to Capernaum and healing some more people. That would have been, as far as we could tell, perfectly good decision. And yet for him, it's, it, it, it symbolized drifting from the trajectory that he was set on. Drifting from the core mission that I've dedicated my life to. And he would not allow that to happen. It happens for us very easily, I think. We start to give our time and our energy to things that were at one time very low on our list of priorities, but now have somehow occupied a place very high, perhaps even above the Lord, above his community, above church, above his kingdom. Yeah, we're going to see that it's very good news for us that Jesus would not drift from his vision. He would not abandon his mission. So, as we end, why is all this good news for us? Why is it good news for us? Well, I'm just going to give this to you quick. It's, it's good news for us that Jesus is filled with compassion. Amen. It is good news for us that he is filled with compassion. Because his compassion, his, his, his heart, his tender heart towards, towards broken, sinful sufferers, it's what eventually, in part, what got him arrested. It's what got him executed. And he was willing to submit himself to all that. Why? Why? In order to save us. In order to bring us healing and freedom. You see, Jesus was so compassionate. He desired to relieve our suffering, eternal suffering, by suffering in our place. By dying even in our place. In order to relieve us of eternal suffering. 
Yes, his commitment to compassion is good news for us. And, and Jesus' compassion has not been exhausted. You know, he, he continues to invite folks like us to trust him and to experience his mercy. He still has compassion for us. He still has compassion for you. He wants to bring you wholeness. He wants to bring you freedom and eternal life. And, and, and that gift cost him everything. And yet he was willing to purchase it for you and to offer it to you and me freely if we will trust in him. And, and it's good news for us that Jesus maintained closeness with the Father. Yeah, it's good news that he's a compassionate God. It's also good that he, it's good news for us that he maintained closeness with his Father. And here, here's why. Because now, this risen, ascended Lord, he offers us the closeness with his Father that he has always experienced. He offers it to me and you. The, the nearness, the intimacy that he experienced with his Father God, he says, now that's yours. If you will trust me and become mine, you get that intimacy too. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's no nearness, there's no closeness, no intimacy with the Father unless you come through me. But here's the good news. John 1, 12 says, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We get to become beloved children of this Father, just like Jesus. We can experience that nearness with God, that closeness. Again, he purchased it for us by dying in our place. And now he offers it to us. And, and, and this, this nearness with God, it's not something to take for granted. It's not something to kind of just overlook. Look, sin has separated us from God. Because of our sin, we don't deserve any nearness to him. We have, by choice, alienated ourselves from God. And yet we're told by God in Ephesians 2 that now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, alienated and alone, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, it's good news for us that Jesus maintained closeness with his Father. But he's not hoarding it to himself. He's giving it out to us. Welcoming us to enjoy the nearness with him. By the way, there is a word here for in this section of the, the passage, there's a, there's a word here for all of you overachieving doers. And by doers, I mean people who love to do and do more. There's many of us, maybe you're one of them, you, you love to do and do more. You find purpose and meaning and worth in doing more. More work, more achievement, more service. There's a word for us here, there's a word for you here. When Jesus retreats to find silence and solitude with God, he's teaching us that he's teaching us something. He, because after, after getting through this day, this was, a, this was a day. This was a day that for many of, of us would be the busiest day of your life. And he just got through it. And, and, and what does he do next? He retreats to the presence of God. Rather than go and do more immediately, 
He rests with his father. And this, and this nearness to his father, this going out into the wilderness, praying, was not something for Jesus that he felt that it's an obligation, I must do this. If God is going to love me, if God is going to continue to approve of me, if I'm going to have worth and purpose, I need to get out to the wilderness and fulfill this obligation. Get with God. No. On the contrary. He knows that it's in the presence of God that he will experience the reality of God's fixed, steadfast love and approval. It's where he will be refreshed and recharged. It's where he will be reminded of what's true. This man lived under the constant temptations and assaults from the enemy. Even his own friends would easily mislead him unknowingly. So he needed to get away. He needed to get alone with his father and rest. And there he finds what he needs. His father is the source. It's a source of, of, of energy and focus for the work that's ahead. So, in order to do, he needs to slow down and be with God. In order to do more, he had to be with God more. There's this contrast between doing and being. The one flows from the other. The doing flows from the being, not vice versa. It's not if I do more, then I will be a child of God. No, if I, if I, if I, if I seek to rest in, acknowledge, and, 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 and internalize the reality of my sonship, then I'll be better equipped to do, to do. If you are a doer, you know that you need boundaries in your life. If you're a doer, well, you know what I mean by doer. You just you want to keep going, you want to accomplish more. Maybe sometimes you feel like that's where you get your worth. Maybe even compare yourself to others who don't do as much. If you are a doer, maybe you know that you need boundaries in your life, but you're hesitant to submit to boundaries. Jesus is teaching you something here. He's teaching you that, that you're doing for God or you're doing for anyone else cannot outbalance your being with God. Your doing can never outstretch your being with him. Are you expending yourself for the kingdom? Praise the Lord for that. Are you expending yourself to love the people in your life and serve others? Praise God for that. But your doing for God cannot exceed your being with him. You will burn out. You will hurt yourself and others. You will do damage to the very ones you're seeking to love and care for. John 15, Jesus said it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if I may be so bold, I might say, well, Jesus, we could do something apart from you. We can do a lot of harm. Do a lot of damage to ourselves and our own souls, to our families, and even to our church. If we seek to do and do and do without remaining connected, abiding in you. So Jesus' example, it urges us to connect, to prioritize relational communion, fellowship with him. And then to serve others out of that relational connection. And all that we get from that relational connection with him. 
I'm learning to do this. I'm learning. I feel like the Lord's been teaching me this for so long. And I'm so, so dumb and so, so dense when it comes to learning this. I encourage you to consider practices that you can put in place in your life. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. The church for thousands of years has practices in place like scripture and meditation, like reading and meditating over scripture, like prayer, silence and solitude. These are tried and tested practices that will help you, help us connect with and remain connected with close to our God. If Jesus needed this, how much more do we? And lastly, and lastly, it's good news for us that Jesus remains committed to his mission. You, here, here's, here's what I, I will, you need to trust. We can trust Jesus' agenda. We can trust his timing, his purposes. They are so much better than ours. Have you ever at moments in your life questioned what Jesus was doing? Like, what are you doing, Lord? God, why this? Why now? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this instead? I've been asking you to do this thing. Why won't you do it? What I really need right now is healing in this area. I need, I need healing in this part of life. I need, I need you to work in this person's life right now. Please, this person is... You, I need you to work in this person's life. I need you to bring faith and renewal and rescue. Just do it, Lord. That's all I'm asking. And, and it's as if Jesus were to say, I've got a plan in place. And it's not your plan. And although I am committed to you, and I love you, and my heart overflows with compassion towards you, I will not be distracted from the mission, the agenda, the timeline. And we are called in those moments to submit to that. And I'm saying that because Jesus is so committed to his mission, it is safe for us to submit to that. His first disciples struggled to learn that. And so it is with us. It's hard. But we can trust Jesus and his agenda. And that's where we're in. Look at who Jesus is. Look at what Jesus is made of. What he is filled with. Because it comes out when he gets pressed. It's all over this passage. And all of what we see here means that you can trust him. And the more you get to know him, the more certain you'll be that he deserves all of your confidence. And one day he's going to return. He's going to make all things new. And in the meantime, he, he's given us his spirit. And his spirit is working in his followers so that we can carry out his mission now. By announcing the kingdom and through our words and deeds that point to the kingdom. His spirit is in us, is working in us. And his spirit is equipping us to do that. His spirit is equipping us to maintain integrity under pressure. If you're a follower of Jesus, know this. You can, by God's grace, maintain integrity under pressure. Just like him. So we started by asking, you know, what, what comes out when you get pressed by the demands of life? What's, what's the kind of mustard that comes out? you face unexpected disappointments or frustrating experiences, well, 
But here's what Jesus is filled with and what he wants to fill you with. Here's what Jesus wants to fill you with so that it spills out whenever you're under pressure. We'll end with this verse, Galatians 5, 22. Here's what Jesus wants to fill you with, New Hope. The fruit of the Spirit. He wants to fill you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So when we get squeezed, that's what comes out. And as we prioritize connecting with abiding in him, he will do it. He's doing it slowly but surely. This is our hope. Let's pray. Our God, we ask that you would work in us the character of Jesus himself. That these fruit would so abide so, so abundantly in us that when we are shaken up, bumped, stretched thin, this is what would come out.